section of the Sangha. They are the Blessed One's disciples who have practiced well, who have practiced directly, who have practiced insightfully, those who practice with integrity, that is the forecast, the eight kinds of noble beings. These are the blessed one's disciples, such ones are worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect. They give occasion for incomparable goodness to arise in the world. All is chant the supreme praise of the Sangha. Born of the Dhamma. That Sangha which has practiced well. The field of the Sangha formed of eight kinds of noble beings. Guided in body and mind by excellent morality and virtue, I revere the assembly of noble beings perfected in purity, the Sangha which is the supreme, secure refuge of all beings, as the third object of recollection. I venerate it with bowed head. I am indeed the Sangha servant. The Sangha is my Lord and guide. The Sangha is sorrow's destroyer. And it bestows blessings on me. To the Sangha I dedicate this body and mind. And in devotion I will walk the well-practiced way of the Sangha. For me there is no other refuge. The Sangha is my excellent refuge. By the utterance of this truth, may I grow in the Master's way. By my devotion to the Sangha, and the blessing of this practice, by its power, may all obstacles be overcome. By body, speak your mind, whatever I'm going to add, is towards the Sangha, and you might not be able to be accepted and So we said covered quite a few pieces of gr- of ground today. Mm, talking about uh, view and heedfulness, nature of mind, sankharas, restraint, virtue, how it all you know, supports or is bound up with what gives rise to mindfulness, sustains mindfulness. Mm. 
and keep coming back to this mindfulness of the body as a constant reference. You recognize this is uh, why it has to be this way because of the nature of what what forms us, what forms and informs us. We have this, uh, as I was saying earlier, kaya, sankara, the bodily energy, the nervous energy, nervous system, that form of intelligence that experiences feelings, physical feelings, sensations, and responds. We get nervous, we get tense, we get um, agitated physically, feel these energies move through us. Uh, There's basic reaction patterns in our experience. Um, We also have Jitta Sankara, which is the mental uh, reactions, responses, and also responses based upon perceptions that it has, or the meanings, derived meanings. And the nature of these perceptions and derived meanings is they're, they're accumulative, they build up, they create a world for us. Create a world of present and past, people, myself, uh, identities, so forth, good, bad, what I'm going to do. So all our world is structured around these uh, meanings. And so what becomes uh, uh, very much a mental or psychological topic and is a paramount topic in, in Dhamma is views. Views are built around our perceptions of what uh, feels right or good, mm, what I see, what lines up with my senses of what's uh, agreeable or useful or inspiring or depressing. Mm. So, so these views are ways in which we organize our world. <coughs> and uh, so we look at, and this is a big topic for the time of the Buddha, nature of the self, is the self eternal? Is it, this, is it uh, become one with the cosmos? Is it separate from the cosmos? Is it sort of half in and half out? Is it semi-eternal? Does it disappear at death? What's the nature of the self? The cosmos, what's the nature of the universe? Is it mind-made? Is it out there? Is it in here? Are we part of it? Do we come from it? Does it come from us? Is it eternal or long-lasting or whatever? Mm-hmm. What's the nature of the relationship between the self and the cosmos? Mm-hmm. Are they derived from the same base? Mm-hmm. Does one slide into the other? Do we unite with the cosmos at death? Do we, are we kind of separated from the cosmos at birth and unite back with it at death? Well, you know, so what are we, who are we, where are we going? Mm. And uh, so there's derived many, many views about all this from the eagerness to get it all clear. 
how, who I am, where I am. And so, of course, these similar intuitions and questions still follow us today. Where am I? My astrology, my psychology. Mm. Where am I as a man or as a woman? And my religious views, my political views, liberal, conservative, sometimes liberal, sometimes conservative, traditionalist. Um, my Dhamma practice, I'm a devotional type or I'm a Vipassana type or I'm a Samatha person. Do I feel that the uh, we all merge into the one mind? Do we all have Buddha nature? Did we have Buddha nature but forgot it and need to come back and remember it again? Or just plain old personal social views? I'm like this because of my social conditioning. I'm not like this because of my social conditioning. Because it's because of my my parents. My karma, my past karma makes me like this. And uh, because I've, I am like this, then I can never be like that. Or I was like, or I don't know whether I'm like this. What kind of person am I? How will I be? Sociological views, democracy, justice, freedom, liberal, fair equality, whatever, you know. We want to organize experience. And yeah, this is what makes us powerful, doesn't it? Compared with slugs, we don't seem to organize much more than munching on leaves, sidling up to another slug and having a slimy embrace now and then. That's about it. That's that's the the news in Slugland. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got all kinds of stuff to keep cooking, you know. So it makes us a very powerful species, creature, because mm. we can figure out what we can do. And we can think. We can plan in advance. We can organize. We can hold things in abstract. We can form um, companies and communions and fellowships around our our views. But then, so the view is something that helps us to, you know, get a perspective on things. How to organize life in general. The only real snag of it is that any view can only be partial. You can't have a universal view. You can have a view standing at one point, you can see what's in front of you, you can't see what's behind. You can see things in the light of that particular view. The difficulty of it is that the um, we find ourselves clashing with people of other views. Conflict occurs with people of other views. Or our views might in fact exclude people 
you know, or creatures. You know, view that we are the most important thing on the planet. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're just the sort of uh, a footnote or marginal note. And really, the most important things on the planet are trees who've been here billion, millions of years, and we're just some sort of accident that happens, and we'll probably wipe ourselves out in another hundred years or so. So then that'll be gone, and the planet can keep going. <laughs> And yet, from the human perspective, we are very important. We're the only thing that counts. Everything has to fit into our world, our way of seeing things. Mm. You see that, uh, like in the, you know, history, you have the Eurocentric view. You know, Europe is the center of civilization. Everywhere else is sort of a bit barbaric, backward, and so forth. And they're kind of. Uh, you know, the, the the criminal activities that occur, you establish that view. Or the Anglo-centric view, you know, parliamentary democracy and steam engines, we know it all. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> right then is to sort of, uh, you know, conquer and colonize and civilize all the everybody else, <laughs> whether they like it or not. You know that that that's kinds of views. Yeah. Mm. Remember in in uh, you know when the people the human beings have been able to um, happily uh, condone slavery for th- hundreds of years, the slaves of people just didn't didn't really count as human beings. So even in in America when they you know America proclaimed you know it's uh, freedom and equality it didn't include slaves who didn't really count as as people as human beings didn't include women either <laughs> you know but from their point of view it was a new wonderful casting off of the shackles and you didn't even need realize that the other shackles were there just buried un- under the view of what what was important who counted who was the important people yeah. Religious views, you know, slay the people of the other sect. Barbarians going to hell anyway. So, you know, with that tendency of adopting a view, we uh, experience uh, something that makes us lose, limits our empathy. We only have empathy with people of the same disposition, have some sense of empathy with my little club, my group. And outside of that, well, you know, animals don't count, people, other people don't count, or foreigners don't count, you know, other things don't count. Whereas my little section of society is, is, the, is the one that really counts. So you lose empathy, and then you lose empathy, then you can lose ethical concern even. Yeah. So once we alienate people from my, my club, you know, people who count, then the people who don't count, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do to them. So this is a very serious problem. So it's the problem when we have a view 
which is really for organizing things, and the view becomes an identity. So instead of establishing it just to get things sorted out, we establish it for our sense of security and belonging. I am one of these. So so what was really organizational becomes ontological. What was just a matter of, you know, sorting things out becomes, this is mine, this is my identity, this is what I am. These are my people, these aren't. So this is what the mind can do. So we genuinely do not see um, the harm, the, the disaffection, the lack of empathy that we show to other beings, other creatures, other animals, mm. even other humans. Mm. And this is so many examples of this. It's, this is the problem of it. So it's not just a theoretical thing. It becomes a deeply patterned part of human behavior. This is what the mind will do. Even to things such as virtue. You know, we think, well, morality, surely that should be good. What happens with morality, you have morality in in Buddha Dharma is seen as fundamentally having two manifestations. One is the quality of our intention, the the impulse, the quality of skillful or unskillful intention. The other is the quality of convention, which means either personally or socially prescribed convention, custom, politeness, what's offensive, what's <coughs> rude, what's uh, criminal, what's allowable, what's okay, you know. And they have, so those we call conventions. And you, you need both, really. You know, you have the, the conventions help us to recognize, to, to look at our intentions, if a contention like a convention like don't in, you know it's not good to interrupt somebody when they're speaking, it gives us a chance to look at our you know our impulsiveness or our um, <coughs> impatience, uh, training children to learn to share things and to be generous and re- restrain some of their impulses is a skillful convention because then we will helps people to to learn to reflect more consciously on their actions. These are conventions. Convention, as long as it links to an intention, and probably one of the, the real uh, problems for many of us is we've had conventions without really knowing what the intention was about. Like, why do I have to wear a school uniform? <laughs> What's the, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to, you know, uh, various kind of things which are just ma- matters of convention, customs which we can't find any sense of intentionality. It's not making me skillful or unskillful, it's just numb, doesn't matter <coughs> anymore. Yeah. And uh, conventions become, uh, they're social, social, uh, social um, and even personally determined conventions, then they become, again, places where we adopt, we adopt views. Mm. So this is what the mind moves away from the quality of intention to the quality of perceptions, impressions, you know, secondary creations. This is what it will do, what it always does. So it always does that. So in any kind, any uh, spiritual 
realizations and breakthroughs that occur in human history start off as somebody actually realizes something. You know, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, somebody realizes something, you know, gets some kind of realization. That's, you know, and then it gets organized. It gets all kind of people, wow, that's really good. You get the level of vision, then you get the level of communication. It gets spread around, hey, this is really good. And, oh, yeah, and it starts to get organized. It's organized, then it becomes customized. Then it becomes ritualized, <laughs> which means people are going through the motions <coughs> of turning up to the temple on Tuesdays or Sundays and making the offerings or bowing or saying the prayer or whatever it is. And, and you know, because it's what you do and you belong, you belong to the club because you're doing that. And the quality of whatever that realization was is not, not apparent anymore. This, ha- this is just the piece of social history. It's nothing to do with the nature of the realization or the founder, but that's what happens. That's what minds do. That's what human minds do. They, o- they communicate, they abstract, they organize, and then they ritualize in, in, a, in a negative way. That is, things become automatic <coughs> tokens of belonging rather than true conveyors of intention, of real spiritual energy mm. so this is this is and of course it doesn't just amount to that does it i mean you know any any organization we come with it's just you know having a marriage or a partnership you start off something there's a definitely some interest some chemistry some in mutuality then some sharing and then you know something's alive there and you get organized and then you know various topics come up around uh you know how where this thing's going, where this twosome, threesome's going. If you have children as well, where this whole thing is going, and uh, to try trying to stay true to the original quality of the intention of that experience gets lost beneath the the, the conventions, the organisations, and then the you should be this, and we're supposed to be that, and planning for the future, and it starts to lose some of its freshness. Yeah, most every political system, you know, so democracy sounds good. Communism sounds good. Sharing, you know, when you look at it as an ideal, sharing, everybody sharing, uh, very free and, you know, able to participate freely sounds good. What happened? <laughs> you know? Justice sounds good, and people getting bombed for the sake of justice. It becomes revenge. What happened? The original, what the mind does, it builds up this sense of self, perceptions, my group, me, this one. And and it loses touch with the quality of intentionality (coughs) behind that. And the fundamental empathy, which is probably the greatest gift that we have uh, in the men- on the purely conditioned level. Our ability to see another and share and feel fellow feeling with another human or even an animal. You get a sense of what's happening for him or her, 
oh, I feel that. That's pretty amazing, you know, really, because we all have that. It's not a matter of telepathy or clairvoyance. We all can do that, you know. And you realize that could be a huge organizational strength, couldn't it? If we just all did that, <laughs> got into fellow feeling and empathy, and you wouldn't have to share concern, generosity, compassion, look at healing. That all comes into that, doesn't it? But instead, we organize it. And the organization's fine, but then we s- lose some of that immediate feeling sense because it goes abstract. The view becomes abstracted from the immediate felt sense of, of sharing and empathy and generosity and uh, compassion. And then you can have a view about, well, that's, you should be more compassionate or, you see, so it still ends up the mind can't go back. In other words, it just creates another view on top of the previous view. We have a, you know, a parliamentary view that supplants a monarchical view. We have, you, you can't go back to the old ones. You just keep creating, it creates new ones on top, you know, and the previous things. So to return is really coming out of the whole weave of the mind. The weave of the mind, being able to come out of it. Heedfulness, apamada, mentioned this today. That sense in which any we have the the intuition that any given time we need to check what's happening in terms of my intentions, attitudes, views, what's going on. To not just follow, having a finger ready on the for the pause button. And as a simple everyday uh, system or everyday teaching bit, there's this. Every day, build in some pause time. You don't have to wait for a solid hour at the end of the day or half an hour. You can have it for 10 seconds. Yeah. So you haven't got time to meditate, but you, you, you've got to have 10 seconds somewhere, surely. <laughs> I mean, lock yourself in the lavatory and have a private 10 seconds. You know. <laughs> and do a few of them, you know. 10 seconds before you eat, 10 seconds as you finish washing your body in the morning, just pausing. That's it. 10 seconds after you finish your breakfast, then you get you under your, get your wheels going, whether it's your private car or your, your personal wheels or the public wheels. As soon as you get into your, your wheelie bin, Pause, <laughs> 10 seconds. Get to the other end, pause, 10 seconds. Lunch break, pause. You know, you can build in quite a few. And every one of those is an occasion when you just come out of gear. There's no, no big deal about it. You're not trying to get enlightened, samadhi, great realization. You're just basically learning that whatever gear you're in, however real, solid, impressive, demanding, necessary, wonderful it is, you, you can 
come out of it. Not negatively, but it's just a just a navigational thing. <laughs> it's not an opinion. It's just that I, you know, this wonderful thing that I'm doing, this really important thing that I'm doing. Yeah, I can come out of that. Because as we know, right now, the sum total of what we can experience is is this, isn't it? Is this, you know, whatever we can see, hear, touch right now, whatever bodily feelings we're having right now, whatever energies we're experiencing right now, whatever moods, it's just this. That's all, that's all we can experience, just this. And we know by experience, this is going to change like in seconds. And major changes within a day. And within a week, this will just be a kind of a few items of memory. And yet, this which is so ephemeral, so transitory, so ungraspable, so little me and mine, is the total of what I'm experiencing now. It's, you know, and then it can be just gone, can't it? You know? If we're really involved with something and then, boom, it's gone. Yeah. In fact, it's everything is like that. And that, yeah, and yet somehow we still operate around the taking this as the foundation of our existence, solidity and, it, and it's just gone it's, it's like a cloud it's like mist so it's wonderful beautiful happy experience it's going to be gone so what we're learning is that ability to just change gear pause notice it notice it just notice it Notice the feeling of it, the push of it, the energies there, the sense of who we sense ourselves as being when we're having a good time, we're positive, we feel confident or bright or alert or energized. Yeah, I'm real, really good. Yeah, I'm you know, feeling really positive about my life right now. And then, blum, whoops. <laughs> Although we believe in our despair. Having a rough time, really difficult, yeah, 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 you know. That's what I am. And that also can shift. So with heedfulness, you're just taking that making it a regular exercise because this is so compelling, this experience. There's nothing else that we can organise ourselves around apart from this that's happening. And yet it's all just tissue thin. So you want to make it regular practice. It's not about urgent, you know, crisis or doing something spiritual. It's, you know, special end of the day thing or once a week thing or going on a retreat thing. Just every day you build in those pauses. So it becomes very much something that you're, you, you're quite used to, that change, changing gear, changing gear, changing gear, just coming out of the whole compoundedness and the density for positive, negative, indifferent that one is being formed in. 
You know, so there's a key understanding there that it's not that we form things, things form us. Formations, sankharas, energies, moods, impressions, sensations, views, feelings form us. Form this, give form to this nebulous sense of self, which has no fixed abode and just keeps being you know, formed around perceptions, feelings, sensations, good, bad, so forth. It forms us. We don't form it. So just coming out of that particular form, even briefly, who is that? Who is that? Who is the owner of that story of, oh, I'm never going to do this, and I never can ever, who is that? Who is the, oh, right, oh, yeah, this is it, yeah, well, who is that? <laughs> Heedfulness. And heedfulness, I mean, to, to just, if you, you take that 10 seconds, and one thing you can develop with it, certain questioning capacity helps. Questioning capacity, just to, to shift the gear. And so questions that are not really about finding wor- verbal answers. They're questions that take your attention, shift your attention. Like I say, watch out for what's behind you. You go, you know, (laughs) you shift your attention, doesn't it? So the question, the first question to ask in in this playful way is, uh, where am I? Not am I in Baker Street or, but where, where is this sense of self? Where am I in this? And you ask the question and let the question travel. Pass the verbalizations, pass the ideas to tell you. And you find yourself, or the experience becomes embodied. You know, you get the sense of the bodily experience comes up. Where am I? And uh, this is uh, this gives us a, a, an understanding of the usefulness of mindfulness of the body, because what we're doing with that question of of where am I right now, really intimately, not geographically, or but intimately, where am I now? Into that, as you come out of the mental apparatus of the psychological apparatus. Because that's about not where I am, but what I'm going to do. Well, the mental apparatus is about um, you know, what I'm feeling and what I'm going to do about it. Those two things. So it takes you out of that into, into your embodiment experience. These two uh, energy forms, the citta sankara, the mental formations, the mental activities, the mental programs, and the bodily ones, you know, uh, they are separate, and yet they also have a have a resonance with them. 
That is, if we feel emotionally distressed, you're going to feel something in your body about that. You're going to feel sagging or flattened or oppressed or agitated or restless. If you're feeling, if your emotional sense feels bright and buoyant, happy, you're going to feel that in your body. Your body's going to feel steady, grounded, complete, warm. Mm. And that's, you know, the key to samadhi. Is, is just that, how the mental and the bodily sankharas resonate and become happy, and the happiness of that which is both emotional and somatic unifies into a grounded state. The mind is concentrated, unified. So we're just taking advantage of that particular uh, um, that particular way, that particular relationship. An actor, any heedful act is, where am I? Not because you're particularly trying to find an answer, but just it helps to take us out of the psychological uh, world we've created. Psychological world we've created is never where I am, but it's where other people are, generally. What they are, what they're about. We've got a whole kind of library about other people, you know, and what my relationship with them is, or my position is, or what they need, or what they deserve, what I should have, or what I feel, and what I'm going to do, or what I was. But where am I? Where's the book on that one? You know, it's it not happening there. But it happens in your body. Now that's not neither. That's not some kind of ultimate truth, but it's a skillful means to play off one set of of for energy formations or sankharas against another one. One set is telling you where you are, which is your bodily set, yeah, and how and how that is that settled? Is it are you where you are? Is that safe? Is it yeah? And the other set is telling you about the nature of the world, what you're going to do, how you're going to organize yourself, how the future is, how you were in the past, the reasons, the whys, the wherefores, and so forth, the rights and the wrongs. And that's, that's another set. So you want to come out of that into that more basic ground, um, the Kaya Sankara. And, and uh, using that, because in that st- you feel the resonance of what your mind has been doing. So if your mind, beneath all those, however firmly uh, and right and clear uh, views we may have about ourselves, the rights, the wrongs, other people and so forth, when you come into your body you realize, oh, oh that felt, that's ill will. <laughs> you know, underneath the view there's a sense of resentment or judgment or... And you can feel it in your body because your body doesn't have views. Doesn't do those. It doesn't do views. It does direct feeling. So a view can quite easily cloak a feeling. So I was noticing in this this recent case of some person in America who was on death row and you know he was about to be executed and they had something like oh I don't know 
maybe half a million people or something had signed petitions to try and get this chap out of jail, of death row. He'd been reprieved several times and they'd, uh, you know, several times they'd kind of, the Supreme Court had said, well, maybe you should review this. Uh, there were nine witnesses to the crime, seven of them who suddenly changed them, realized that their testimonies had been inadequate or flawed. So there's a fair probability that it was not a clear-cut case, you know, that, they, that this chap was was guilty. And, um, but he still ended up getting executed. And, uh, you know, the people who wanted him executed, wanted him executed because of justice, because the person was a criminal, justice must be done, then the case is finished, you know a sense of justice, justice, you know, which is, surely we all believe in justice. Justice is a good thing. Justice is about fair, even, right, getting things proper. But as a view, yeah. But then how you hold it, it's, it's another convention, another way of conventionalizing sila, morality, into justice. And then you kind of Try to feel it in your body. What does it feel like when you sense somebody, you know, what's the attitude that sends someone to death? Is it uh, goodwill? <laughs> what's the intention? Is it goodwill? Is it compassion? Is it no, it seems pretty much like, you know, revenge, get rid of, annihilate. Mm -hmm. And yet the view, justice can sit there and we, because it's a meaningful term, I'm sure we'd all feel that it's a useful concept, useful convention. It can, it can mask some pretty, you know, understandable feelings and emotions, revenge, yeah. which cloud the accuracy of the, ju of the justice, of the judgment. But when we come into our bodies, you can feel the tension, or you feel, you know, the tension which accompanies ill will, get rid of. You, know, you can feel it. Uh, you can feel the tension of anger uh, or of conceit feel it. This is why it's very useful just to be able to come into the body yeah. and revealing. See how much uh, dismissiveness, don't bother me, defensiveness, you know, can be there underneath these seemingly legitimate views like, oh well, um, I'm busy right now. <laughs> and you get down into the thing, you know, <laughs> get out. I don't want you. <laughs> and maybe it'd be better just say, well, right now I feel like this way would be more more empathic rather than trying to justify it. Mm. So mindfulness of the body isn't about ignoring the mind. You know, like you suppress all mental, psychological, emotional experiences. It's about getting a somatic reference to them so so that you you know it more fully 
you know your mind more fully when you when you experience it from the body because they share the same nervous system the same chemicals you can't feel relaxed and happy with an unwholesome mind state your body can't feel that it has to feel you have to abandon it you have to drug it you have to go into a view and opinion you, you can't feel relaxed happy complete in your body with an unwholesome mind state so it's good to check you know. so this is the basis of uh, you know why mindfulness of the body said um, we do not touch the deathless without fully knowing mindfulness of the body it's the place not because of something you know where there's deathless is in my body which part my knee my belly <laughs> it's not in there it's just the it's just a system we can go to to both disengage from the compulsions about current ongoing story of who I am what I'm going to do what I'm going to be what other people are what's expected what's needed da 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 what's right and wrong just coming out of that psychological world you know disengaging from it and and then now when you're in here now what now what's the feeling now how does it feel you know, oh pressure oh pressure oh panic anxiety saddened you, know, you, 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 you see the underlying roots of, of, of mental behavior that views the mental stuff screens off the organizing mind is mostly about shutting out experience it's mostly about forgetting and not noticing things in order to create the future the past other people what I've got to do tomorrow plans and so forth to have that much focus on these purely notional abstractions you've got to screen out a lot of other data otherwise you don't get it yeah right? I mean if you really like if you're really playing football or something full-on you can't play football full-on and be organizing your shopping next week it can't happen yeah. Because you're too much in this, you're too much in, 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 in the body. If you're fully, fully in this, so in order to do that, you have to screen out to create these abstractions. You have to screen out a lot of more immediate experience. You know, put you get your energy into that. So when you come back into direct experience, some of that organized organized world suddenly, you know, can't keep it going. one of the benefits the, uh, when I was on pilgrimage I was walking around Mount Kailash which is a sacred mountain in Tibet it's about you walk around it so you don't climb up it but walking around it's still you know 18,000 feet up so at that height even though the path itself is quite manageable the oxygen is so so little it's less, less than half that you have at sea level that you just don't get the oxygen your system doesn't get oxygenated you don't get the energy 
Yeah. So you feel kind of, well, I felt sort of somewhere between life and death most of the time. <laughs> what it takes to move a body along becomes something you have to be quite deliberate about, like, okay, lift the leg, move it forward, put it, things that happen automatically. Even eating is a kind of major thing to actually get through the work of eating food. So eventually I give up eating, it's just too much work, too tiring to eat. Uh, and then, but the, the, well, the interesting thing was is that you can't keep your neurosis going. You, know. <laughs> you haven't got the energy to keep thinking about what you should be and how you never did and what's going to happen next and what, how other people think of you and you can't keep it going <laughs> because you haven't got the juice for it. It takes all you've got just to breathe in and out and keep walking. Yeah. So you, you lose this story, this ongoing story of your life. It suddenly fades out. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a relief. You know, how important, I wonder what's happening in the monastery and things are going down okay, and you know, the next year I've got to plan this, and you know, I'm gone. Because <laughs> 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 just... Everything, all your resources have got to go into just the mechanics of walking and breathing and eating and, and that. You know. So then you see how this, this world, which seems so sometimes so intensely dense that we feel depressed under the weight of it. Where is it? You know? Because the body doesn't have it, the mindfulness, of somebody, the mindfulness of the body, we're able to kind of step out of it. But at the same time, it's not avoiding it. You, you, because if you step out of that, then you experience the the somatic, the bodily resonances that are associated with that particular mind state. You experience the pressure or the tension or the joy. You know, if it's skillful, you know, the excitement. You feel them more, more nakedly. It's, it's the, the covering of views is taken away. Now this is where mindfulness of, of the body is a valuable way for understanding the mind. Not for getting out, you know, dismissing the mind, but for really understanding the basis of mind. Developing mindfulness of the body for benefit of for samadhi means to mindfulness of the body means bearing it fully in mind, which means as we sit or walk or stand, the first uh, you know it's, it's a, as full as full as you can get it. You know you want to not just a, a notional reference to it, oh, body there breathing in, breathing out. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then you get on with your story again. But really, you know, dropping the mind or, or deepening the mind into it. So the specific details and the overall senses to, f- to really fill it out. The feelings and the, in the body you have, you know, you start drop the perception of the body. Old, young, male, female, large, small, whatever. You know, put that, that's just a mental impression at this time. You know, it has certain amount of relevance of course but when we come into our own space 
all that is just interpretations. What do you actually feel in the body's set terms? You feel sense of occupying space or solidity, anything from spongy to rock solid, bits and pieces. You feel a sense of warmth or lack of it, or some parts quite hot, some parts quite cool, areas of cool and warmth, vitality. You experience some kind of movements going on, rhythmic movement, breathing in and out, other occasionally involuntary movements. You experience a sense of cohesion, or this is all, all these bits and pieces all fit into the same thing. These are called the four elements, earth, um, warmth, fire, air, movement, water, cohesion. You just come into that and then generating that that awareness of this this corporeal nature. And, And then the rhythm of breathing is the central governor of that, the vitalizer, the center of it, the stabilizer, the thing who's the quality of energy that then can suffuse that whole corporeal field. This is how we cultivate, filling it, completely filling it, not just as an idea, but filling it very intimately as if you are feeling it, touching it. And it's another interesting uh, phrase that comes up, the word pusati, which means to touch. And the phrase is used touches the deathless in his body. I mean, that's a pretty interesting (laughs) phrase, isn't it? They touch the deathless with your body. You know, deathless is something, it's not a physical thing, is it? Immaterial space, you touch the deathless with your body. There's no explanation of what these phrases mean, but the the images or the impressions that stain, there's something that's, that's palpably experienced you know the phrase is not you know conceiving of it understanding it but touching it something of like a real what happens when we touch something some it that what we touch touches us there's a equalizing there's a, a dropping of boundaries we are touched it's a powerful phrase isn't it you touched me. We could mean referred mentally. You know, you, you, you. I'm, I was emotionally touched, physically touched. Um, I, something shifted, uh, and we touch something. Touch the death. This means there's a shift. A shift from maybe pressure or m- pushing forward or withdrawing or wavering. There's a shift out of that into something whereby there's no resistance no pull, no push, no holding on. And the shift from normal mode of our energies, which is about, you know, what's pleasant, where's the get hold of, move away from, touching something which where all that is released, palpably felt, moving through the whole system, and yet touching it in the body I haven't an explanation, but as a, as a as a phrase, it's a useful one to to contemplate, to meditate on, to get the feeling for. This is something very intimate and very direct, not through some 
conceptual means mm, or abstract means, something that's as direct as the nose on your face, perhaps more direct, since you only can't see the nose on your face. Unless <laughs> you've got a very big one. <laughs> So that uh, quality of mindfulness is then allowing us to really feel it very fully, be sensitized, be affected by it. And in that, for that practice then, our attitude, the gentleness, the persistence, the peacefulness of our intentions are all part of how we touch. You can't grab the body, you can't push it, you can't force it, you can't wobble around it, you have to touch it, be touched, and touch and be touched. There's something very intimate and uh, direct about that, how we find the wholesomeness of our intentions and the skillfulness, the restraint and the moderateness and the clarity all contribute to how we are able to fully fill, be filled in the body filled with embodiment hmm? and you know so and then the second if you'd like to look at it in, you know in this systematic way it's probably not systematic but part of that is also the ability to enjoy hmm? so of all our mental energies we have energies that organize conceive think abstract but then mind is much bigger than our than our perhaps our way of, of conceiving it as a thinking system. It's also the emotional system. It's also our uh, affective system. So there's an energy that comes with enjoyment, particular rapture. This is really nice. I'm enjoying it. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to get me somewhere else. It's not supposed to be something I do and get somewhere else. I'm just enjoy. And that faculty that that capacity has to be cultivated. Mm. There's no view about enjoyment. It's just something very primary that we overlook or neglect. Meditation is supposed to be about enjoyment, or partly, as part of it. Feeling where the sense of pleasantness, which is perhaps the removal of pressure, the fluency, the absence of jaggedness, roughness, the self-respect, the simplicity, all these things contribute to a quality of pleasure, happiness, ease. It's to be cultivated. Mm. And in this, in this bo- and the body feels it. When, you, when you're doing that, you definitely feel it in your body. The body tells you that you get the rapture is both um, mental, you might say, and physical. And it's, it's only, and so it's that quality, something that's shared through the mind and the body, that unites the mind and the body, because they're both hitting the same note. Your mind isn't running off somewhere else, and your body somewhere else. You know, 
your mind's busy with its own stories and your body's somewhere else. They're hitting the same note. That is exactly what we mean by samadhi, unified. It's, co- it's not a tense, willful concentration. It's a carefully cultivated, gently, steadily, virtuously cultivated, unifying of body and mind. And with that, the strength comes of no longer being bits and pieces strung out across time, across the world, across ifs and ands and shoulds and wouldn'ts. It becomes the unification in the present. This is what uh, comes mindfulness of the body. And in that, the distress and the fevers around the future and the past and the identities and the shoulds and the shouldn'ts is dissolved. So let's take a few minutes break and uh, dip into the practice. Buddha's words on loving kindness, it's page 34 in the book, 35 actually. So this is, <coughs> as I know, this is another very important thing, uh, quality to be mindful of, bear in mind that how we are with other beings, how we feel about other beings ourselves and others. This is what should be done by Through anger or ill 
Blessed ones, disciples, who 